Okay, it's happened again. What now? You remember back in episode four when I woke up in a shipping container after a heavy night? I do, and Ian, it was very unprofessional. Yeah, um, well, it happened again. Typical. Okay, where are you now? Uh, I think I'm in Antwerp. Well, Ian, we have a deadline. You were meant to interview someone for the Urban Arena podcast, a podcast about just and sustainable cities. Yeah, I know, I know. Listen, could you do me a favor? Um, Do a bit of a search online and tell me if there's anyone worth speaking to in Antwerp. Got it. You could try Tom Meus, the Vice Mayor of Social Affairs and Environmental Affairs of Antwerp. It looks like he's responsible for both social and environmental issues. With a title like that, I would expect he is. Anyway, my look is in City Hall. Here I come. I'm Tom Meus. I'm the Vice Mayor for Environmental Affairs and Social Affairs in the the city of Antwerp, Flanders, Belgium, Europe. So as I mentioned, this is a podcast about exploring social and environmental justice in cities. And so let's take it as a given to begin with that we both think that there can be no environmental justice without social justice. And we both think like that now, I'm guessing, but I guess we both didn't. We had to come to that sort of realization. So I want you to think a little bit about how you came to link these two things together. Basically, what's the personal, political and maybe even institutional history Um, that led you, as the Deputy Mayor of Antwerp, to become responsible for both social and environmental issues? Yeah, thank you for that very uh, interesting and starting question, or opening question. I started my career uh, 25 years ago in a very small uh, not-for-profit organization called Arbeid en Milieu in Dutch. In uh, in English, it's uh, Labor and Environment. And that's a very small organization that combined trade union organizations at the one hand, and environmental organizations at the other hand. And the only aim, the only purpose was getting to know each other and avoiding that we keep on protesting in streets or in firms, one against each other. So it's not, the question is not, it's a paradox, but not the opposite between employment at the one hand and environment at the other hand or environmental protection at the other hand. But How can we get to know each other much better? And how can we define projects, programs, actions in which the double dividend becomes clear? So uh, 25 years ago, I started my career in that very little organization. And then uh, at the end of 2080, I started negotiations in order to uh, become a vice mayor in uh, in the city of Antwerp, 530,000 inhabitants, a world famous poor city. and then uh, I got the, the opportunity, the chance to catch those both competences, uh, and that's environmental affairs at the one hand and social affairs at the other. To be very clear, I hate, I hate in the public debate uh, a kind of established artificial opposition talk between labor and environment. And so local climate measures, local energy measures, local environmental protection measures are definitely in a port city, social by definition, social by definition. And so that was my my lifelong motivation to get those two portfolios in one hand. Okay, so it was your initiative that said, okay, I want to take on these two things together. And when you did that, what did, what did your um, fellow politicians or civil servants in, in, the, in Antwerp city say? They said, okay, or they were, it's a few raised eyebrows. Well, uh, to speak very clear, uh, 
it's a kind of a public confession. They wanted to give me environmental affairs. And then I asked, I like to have social affairs uh, beside that. So they were a bit surprised. But in fact, uh, for the whole uh, board of uh, the, the, the city council here, it's, it's, it's quite clear. It is really a double dividend. Uh, um, we're in, in the whole of our uh, energy and, uh, and climate policies. We believe we're entering a new stage. You, you had the stage of the individual with a lot of money uh, on a household uh, level including myself. I have uh, photovoltaic panels uh, on my rooftops. It's all quite arranged uh, and we got some subsidies for that on an individual basis, but as a socialist, but also as the vice mayor for env environmental and social affairs. It's my uh, conviction and the city council shares that we're entering a new phase. We're now entering the phase of robust, uh, just, social climate policies energy policies and that means you have to look at the whole system it's not about people who will lose their jobs in one factory or another it's about uh, leading a, a sort of creative destruction also in firms we will lose jobs yes we will lose jobs but that will not lead uh, definitely to uh, uh, high unemployment figures we get some opportunities at uh, at the long end. And so uh, it, it's the strong belief in combining those two goals, not blurring those goals. Eh? You can have some ecological measures which harm, which harm social deprived areas or social deprived people. Uh, but it's the art of uh, combining them, but not blurring the goals which you need, the blurring, not blurring the goals which you need separately in the social domain and in the energy or environmental domain. Mm -hmm. Do you think maybe there's an issue with the, I guess, sort of the short term or reactionary nature of politics and party politics and so on, and the need to have then this more honest conversation and say, there is going to be winners and losers in any sort of transition. And uh, when questions of justice, some of those losers might be quite high placed people. And maybe in the short term, some of those losers might be relatively poorer people, but we need to have that conversation. And politics nowadays doesn't always allow for that. No, 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 no but you have to invent a new logic, a new discourse, a new, new words, new language. So people there are some people that are going to lose and those people we call them not the poor but the polluters the polluters are going to lose those guys in economics but also on a household level that uh, are polluting too much that are not uh, reducing their greenhouse uh, gases they will lose but of course as vice mayor for social affairs the losers can never be can never be, and let me be very clear about that, can never be the vulnerable, the vulnerable residents that are not uh, private owners of their, uh, of their house or their apartment or their building block. And so in the transition to more climate-friendly uh, way of living, we have to invent a new set, a new toolbox of measures in which people that uh, are uh, renting their house, they're renting their apartment, also can profit from uh, climate measures, from subsidies. They have the right, there is a really right to uh, energy efficient houses, also for people that rent. So the losers will be those who pollute, but not the vulnerable. The vulnerable, we have to protect them more than ever, more than ever, in what I call a new 
kind of welfare state. We had the social welfare state after the World War II, and now we have to invent the climate welfare state. And the climate welfare state in which, first of all, and ever, ever, any kind of measure we take, we take into account uh, the, uh, the vulnerable and we have to protect them. If I just can give one brief example, talking about carbon taxes, I'm profoundly a fan. I support uh, carbon tax uh, schemes. But if you do that at, uh, let's say, uh, 2 uh, p.m. in the afternoon, uh, a quarter past 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you have to refund uh, the vulnerable. In your classical social security system, you have to refund them with the gains of the uh, carbon tax uh, scheme. So that's the that's the kind of the bridge we have to uh, build amongst the environment and uh, and labor or amongst the environment and social affairs. Okay, great. So we talked a little bit, I guess, slightly on the abstract sense. Now let's let's dig down a little yeah. bit into work. So maybe you can tell me then, you know, since you've since you've taken on the position, what have you been particularly proud of, or what would you like to highlight in terms of what you've done? in the city and bringing together just uh, um, questions of em environment and social issues. Yeah. The one-stop energy shop. The one-stop energy shop. I'm very proud of that. That's an, uh, a shop for the most vulnerable, for all Antwerp people, but as I'm concerned, for the most vulnerable. The jungle, the jungle of uh, subsidy schemes, the jungle of measures which have been taken for years for a high and middle income class. So we have to take them now for the low income class. And so we created an, a one-stop shop, energy shop, where people uh, physically, physically, it's very important, physically can meet each other, can come to the shop. And there we help them if they ask for uh, a new energy uh, distribution firm or a new energy provider. Then we only ask one question, can we visit your home? Can we visit your apartment? Can we visit your one room space in most of the cases? And so we like to visit your home and then we like to screen your home and help you in enabling energy efficiency uh, measures. Uh, and we will help you to get in fund that. But so the one-stop energy shop for all Antwerp people, but mostly for the vulnerable, uh, is uh, one of the measures we immediately installed, and uh, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And now we're going further. A second uh, example is setting up a new kind of household electronics as a service. So fridge, refrigerator, a stove. Uh, can we provide that as a service? Uh, the most vulnerable, they buy low-efficient uh, household electronics, and so we, we like to stop that. And we are now tendering a, a large project in which we like to provide as a service, not to have it as an owner, but as a service to, uh, to establish uh, the most energy-saving electronics to the most vulnerable. And so they just pay kind of a monthly rent, but it's lower than what they pay to their uh, monthly energy provider. And so they will have the most efficient utmost efficient uh, fridge in their apartment without being the owner and so that's a kind of changing uh, transition changing their uh, their logic also in their uh, in their heads 
Okay. And so this is for people who are in, uh, well, it's what we call in the UK context, um, council housing, so state-owned housing. No, in Belgium, there's a, a large amount of uh, private uh, housing. So we have, to give you an example, we have 11% of the housing market in Antwerp is uh, social housing, but 60% is uh, uh, private renting. And that's our uh, biggest problem. So uh, Belgians have a brick in their stomach, but not the Belgians, not uh, the Antwerp people. Belgians that live in the city, they depend largely on the private hiring market. And so that's that's a big problem. So there's a kind of split incentive. Those, the most vulnerable, they, they haven't any incentive to invest in energy saving. They have, uh, they're, they're not the owner. And so uh, we're setting up this scheme for the vulnerable and the definition is quite simple as a vice mayor of social affairs i'm responsible for the social benefit department you have eight thousand of uh, social beneficiaries talking about the amounts in the household we're talking about thirty thousand people so it's for them that we're doing it but most of them uh, they are hiring uh, an apartment on the uh, the private housing market mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I guess a, a critical angle somebody might take is that, um, okay, this is great. And with any sort of state welfare scheme, you know, the state provides something, but the state takes what it takes back is to be a little bit intrusive into people's lives, you know? And so in this sense, you're asking people, okay, I, I want to go in. And this doesn't happen if I'm, uh, if I'm a richer resident of town, like, you know, the state doesn't come in and look at my fridge, you know, and see what sort of... <laughs> So, like, how do you how how would you then respond to this? That basically, the, then the more vulnerable um, members of Antwerp, residents of Antwerp, yeah. are being asked to reveal more about their life um, than what, what what would most people would happily happily offer up. Yeah, a smooth, or rather, saying a soft kind of paternalism mm -hmm. is kind of the cement. Uh, in the bridge between the social and the economic uh, and, and the ecological affairs. That's my political, philosophical uh, conviction. So you need, uh, one way or another, a soft kind of a, a paternalism. We know what's good for you, but the trouble is you can't fund it by yourself. And what we used to do when I uh, entered the, um, uh, my job here, when I... Uh, I saw then we, we're spending millions of euros in skipping or taking jubilee measures and skipping the energy costs of the vulnerable. But if you just take a jubilee measure, okay, they don't have to pay their invoice at their local uh, energy provider, but you don't do anything about the monthly energy invoice and the consumption, the energy consumption in that household. And so soft paternalism is, you, you're right about that, good question. You enter the private space of people in a soft paternalistic way uh, in order to, to get things done and to do something about the social vulnerable situation, but also about the uh, climate and energy issues in the city. There is no one, of course, you always ask permission, you always ask permission. You ask them to sign documents in order to be complied with the, uh, the, the European uh, privacy policies. But there is no one, but really no one that refuses a government that is trustful, that tries to build trustful links. Uh, no one refuses that kind of help. Uh, but it's not a hard paternalism. Uh, it's not authoritarian it's 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 a kind of 
your neighbor, the, your local government as a friend enters the doorstep or knocks on the on the door. Glad you mentioned the local government because that brings me to the last sort of theme that I that I want to discuss, and that's maybe the the urban scale. Because obviously, you know, you're uh, you're um, deputy mayor of a city, and it's a city within a country, and it's a very it's a country on a whole region which is very densely urbanized. And of course, you've got the layer of the EU, and they all have different layers of government, different priorities, different challenges, different priorities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and so on. So I'm wondering then, that's extremely complex, right? So when you're sitting, you know, with your advisors, or when you're discussing with your colleagues how to act and where to act like i'm just wondering how, how do you think through your role as a city within this sort of multiple layers of complexity yeah of course uh, our city and uh, no city in the world is is an island eh? so we are a densely populated region and situated at the heart of the european uh, road network antwerp is really a, a transit city also uh, talking about uh, the roads that uh, that are laying amongst us so that poses a, a few uh, challenges, but in my view, it's what well, we're living in the urban era. It's cities that are going to make it. If you can make it uh, in Antwerp, you can make it everywhere. We say, like like New York, like all big cities. And so, for example, we are the, the second largest port of uh, of Europe. Eh? That's in our backyard here. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the port, we're able to construct our city heat network. So there's a lot of waste heat in our port area. So thanks to the port, we can construct in our city a heat network. So you need, of course, regional, subnational, national levels to subsidize or to, to make the business case possible. But I'm really convinced that there, in the, in the, in, in the next hundred years, we will, we will discover that by pain but also by joy that there is the urban areas and there's a european level but the nation state the regional state hasn't uh, the real future i think that's a quite a heavy political statement i know but it's born out of a really uh, conviction and, a, and, and an urban a city love an urban passion that we we, we really in, in all urban uh, cities urban regional cities urban cities that are open for their region too eh? but open cities have no enemies they only have uh, supporters to talk in uh, in football uh, terms so, so it's the level on a political way it's the level that will uh, reach out and that will succeed in reaching the uh, the climate uh, goals mm -hmm. so if, if we take what you say as true and then like but then the, the cities are a place where you know that are going to be able to at the forefront of coming up with solutions or ideas and processes to challenge but we know cities are sort of in competition i'm sure you feel that in antwerp is the second largest you know and there's another big port somewhere else and so you know how competitions sometimes work it can be a race to the bottom because you know if you want to attract you know investment sometimes environmental or ecological issues are a bit of a red flag um so i'm wondering how do how do then you balance questions of being a competitive smaller city you know with with uh, the need to be environmentally sound yeah that the competition between cities is also um, bothering me the art of of city politics is don't lose in of course a world competition amongst the world economic players don't lose your identity therefore i was given the example of we have a waste heat uh, opportunity dublin has that too not with the port dublin has no port but dublin has 
the heat of the servers of uh, Google, for example. But the, 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 the art of city politics is invest a lot in not try to attract the same global investment all over the world, but invest first of all in getting to know yourself and your urban regions. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And build on that opportunity. Um, and luckily, I, th I think 10 years ago, we were really at the bottom, I think, of the uh, cities that were in a, a worldwide competition. Saskia Sassen, uh, Richard Senna, they, they wrote terrific books about that, but also terrifying books. And you have H&M, you have all the same businesses in, in the same shopping street. If you took the plane 10 years ago, you, you take the plane, you go to a shopping street in a European city, and you, you close your eyes while you go into the to the airplane. You, but when you enter then a shopping street, you, you, you won't know in which city I am now. And so the, it's the art of identifying your, your, your own identity, a profound, profound strategic discussion, a profound strategic exercise, but then morphological. Uh, every city has its own opportunities and you have to invest in that. We have here River Skeld with its opportunities. We have the poor city as, as its opportunities. We're in, in, in the midst of, uh, of Flanders, but also of Europe as a, as a transit city. You have to identify yourself and then you won't become one of the 100 European cities. But having said that, at the political level, cities' administrations are lean and mean. And of course, you have to build trustful relationships with regional and national uh, levels. But we are lean and mean. And so it's, it's here we can uh, have uh, demos, projects, experimentation. These are really climate labs in order to, of course, then of course, then lobby for legislation that helps us to become really, uh, in a just way, just climate uh, cities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just maybe just quickly follow up on that, if I may. I know we're running out of time, but it's just then there does still there seem to be maybe a, a little bit of a of a contradiction on how this is going to be worked out moving moving forward. Because okay, you might be able to as Antwerp then you know be able to position yourself in this sort of global position of cities as being both you know unique well you're a famous city not every city can say it's a famous city because it doesn't have a particular famous history but it could be as big as antwerp but we've never heard of it right and uh, and yet and yet uh, and at the same time you know so you can only control what's happening locally and i'm, I'm just wondering like you know when we talk about questions of you know bringing investment and this and that there's always going to be these, these trade-offs which is natural you know the world is when we can't live out through our utopias but um i just wonder then like if, if we are talking on a european scale thinking about you know creating just and sustainable futures there's going to be certain places which are not going to want to join in you know and because they missed out on this big green investment opportunity or etc so on so is there a question of confliction between different scales or i don't think so you have to be self-conscious without being arrogant eh? and you one mistake you 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 may never make. That's it. It's a kind of uh, strange thing I'm gonna tell now. But uh, politicians may not think they will change the world on their own. My experience now in uh, three years I'm in office now is that, for example, big chiefs of local firms in the port area, uh, but big uh, big firms in, in chemistry, uh, big oil even. Eh? If you talk to them, and that's the, 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 
not only the lean and mean question, but also the lean and mean opportunity, but also the opportunity to, to have personal relationship with people. If you talk to those corporate guys on a local level, they say, we hate gold plating, for example. We, we want to be the best in class. And so, but on, on national levels, you, you, you get that, oh, we have to be modest. There's still that tension between energy investments, economic investments, economic returns, energy returns. So, but if you talk on a, on a local level, people are very ambitious. Even big oil in the Antwerp Porter, even our chemistry sector, they're really convinced we, we, can, we can reach our goals. Eh? It's all about uh, relationships, networks, and cities itself are very good at it. Will there be losers run away? Losers talking about cities. Yes, that's right. But as long as you are, uh, are you capable of, of organizing it on a, on a regional level or a sub-regional level, we will we will get a lot of cities involved, but maybe they have to. We, we will be merging merging areas with merging cities, but I really think the end of the nation state we will uh, we will experience it in a in the next uh, fifty years, let's say, not hundred fifty. It's good to good to end on a message of hope. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, that's a pleasure, a real pleasure in this, uh, this early summer afternoon. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Kate. Um, so what did you think of my interview with Tom? Yep, super, super interesting to hear kind of a government point of view. Um, I feel like a lot on this podcast we discussed um, these these topics about how to create sustainable and just cities with various uh, stakeholders, and I think this is a really good opportunity for us to see the public view. Um, you know, what 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 does someone who is actually elected by the people do to make cities a better place for everyone to live in? At the beginning of the episode, you guys were talking about kind of you know what the losers and winners of this climate crisis might be. And to quote Tom, he said, losers were the losers will be polluters. And, and I kind of wanted to push back on that um, with you or just hear your thoughts. Um, because, and maybe this is a bit of a, a jaded, <laughs> jaded point of view, but I, I think ultimately, the like the rich will always be able to protect themselves, you know, whether it's, it's, it's holding on to their money, whether it's finding alternative ways to, you know, still living the same lifestyle and still not be like, you know, necessarily reprimanded for it, um, whether it is, you know, investing in like highly, highly efficient energy sources that only the rich can afford. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I just don't see necessarily a future where, you know, sustainability can work in a very egalitarian way. But maybe again, maybe that's just jaded me. <laughs> it's usually me who's the pessimist one, Kate, and you're and you who's the optimist. Uh, what's happened to us over the last uh, two and a half years? Living in London made you cynical. Who would have thought it? No, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the point, right? I mean he he was sort of I guess he he was saying this is what we want it to be. This is what we aim for it to be. Um, but yeah, like who's who's to say that the losers or the people who will 
who should be the losers in a sense of the of the transition because you know they are the polluters who's to say they won't just keep finding ways around it right there's a certain cunning to capital when it always manages to find new ways of reinventing itself as something else you know like as re you know the polluters will reinvent reinvent themselves as the environmentalists you know and they'll spend a lot of money um greenwashing themselves and finding ways to get around stuff and uh yeah politics isn't always electoral politics isn't always uh the best at going after such players especially when there's so much money involved something to something to think about a little bit more but uh, we're going to come to the end of this podcast and i'd like to thank everyone for listening yet again um kate i usually ask you if people want to find out more what can they do yes they can go on to our website at urban-arena.eu they can also email us our instagram is at arena underscore urban and we do really want to hear from you so if you have any thoughts on kind of what we discussed um or want to get in touch to ask another big pressing question that we want to answer on our next episode please do reach out bye bye This podcast is part of the three-year project Urbana, Urban Arenas for Sustainable and Just Cities. It was funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.